Mark chapter 3, verses 7 to 35. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea, and Jerusalem and Edumia, and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You're the Son of God! And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. And he went up on the mountainside and called to him those whom he desired. And they came to him. And he appointed twelve whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder. Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. Then he went home and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him for they were saying, he's out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He's possessed by Beelzebub, and by the prince of demons he casts out demons. And he called them to him, and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself, and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong men. Then indeed he may plunder the house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him, and a crowd was gathering around him. And they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Righto. We're only three chapters into the Gospel of Mark and already it's becoming pretty clear that Jesus is causing a major divide. It's a divide between those who are on the inside and those who are on the outside. Um, And that's the way it always is with Jesus. He forces us to make a decision. Uh, It's something in which we cannot remain neutral. And we're pushed to answer the question, am I going to be a disciple of Jesus? Or am I going to reject Jesus? And it might seem that sometimes it might seem like to us that there's also a third group of people, such as what we see in the reading today, the crowds of people who are being drawn to Jesus. 
But essentially, even the crowds who at this stage are being drawn to Jesus, well, they're still outsiders too. And it'll become pretty clear that these crowds are outsiders because by the time we get to the end of the gospel, uh, Pilate is going to ask them a question, what do you want me to do with Jesus? And the crowds are going to shout out, crucify him, crucify him. You see, until those who are being drawn to Jesus become disciples of Jesus, they're still on the outside. But let's begin with that group. Um, last week, where we left off, the religious leaders had had a squabble with Jesus over the Sabbath. And of course, they came off second best. I mean, who's ever going to win a theological argument with the Son of God? I mean, they're starting from a losing position. And so they came off second best, and they then headed off with their tail between the legs to try and conjure up a bit more support and get some allies to um, go against Jesus together. And so we ended last week with the religious hierarchy and the political power brokers united against Jesus. And already in chapter 3, they're beginning to plot his demise. But despite all of this, uh, despite their very public disapproval of Jesus... Jesus still continued to, to be overwhelmingly popular against ordinary, amongst ordinary old Joe Blow. We're told here that Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and what happened? A great crowd followed him. And these people, they came from miles around, and, and you can see from them, yep, from that map up there, they came from all over the place, here, there, and everywhere, from miles around. What was drawing them? Well, they were coming for the healing. They're coming for physical healing. They were coming for spiritual healing. So he's healing people of the diseases and he's casting out demons. And it is amazing how far people will travel for healing. Even today, if somebody's suffering a disease that locally can't seem to be cured and they just hear of another treatment somewhere else that, oh, if I just go to this place, it might just give me just, even if it's only a tiny little bit of hope that it might cure them, well, people will travel, travel across, across the globe for that. And it was no different in Jesus' day either. Anyway, there were so many people there that Jesus was in danger of being crushed as they clamoured to touch him or, or to have their turn at being healed. He was very popular. And as we continue in this Gospel of Mark, it's gonna, we're going to see very quickly that Jesus was very popular at times. He was popular when he was doing stuff like healing. He was popular when he was doing things for people that they wanted. But then there are other times when he wasn't so popular. And um, I guess at this point we see that they weren't really looking for his teaching. Because here's this crowd, there's, there's no mention at this point that they've come for repentance. There's no mention at this point that they've come to hear his teaching. They've come simply because of what Jesus is doing. They've come just for the healing. And at this stage, it seems like the only ones who are really grasping who Jesus really is are the demons. It, we're told that whenever the unclean spirit saw him, they fell down before him and they cried out, oh, you're the son of God. And Jesus strictly told them not to make himself known. Now, here's the thing. Jesus wanted disciples who would make him known. 
He didn't want the testimony of demons. He wanted disciples who would make him known. And that's what the Lord still wants today. He wants disciples who will make him known. Now, I found myself wondering, I wonder if that's who we are. Are we disciples of Jesus who will make him known to the world? But at the time, most of those crowds were not disciples. Jesus had attracted a lot of tire kickers. He'd attracted a lot of spectators. But something I've realised is Jesus doesn't have a lot of use for tire kickers. He doesn't have a lot of use for spectators. Jesus came to call disciples. So that's what happens in today's reading. Now, out of all of that vast pressing crowd, how did Jesus choose his disciples? Did he select those who are from the best families, right? Those who are prominent people within the community, people of good breeding? Nope, not at all. Did he go for those who are most popular? You know, those famous people, or, or maybe people who had a really good communication ability, those charismatic types of people who can just communicate really well. Did he go for them? No. Well, did he base it on merit? Did he say, well, look, I've got 12 positions vacant here. I want you to all put in your resume and answer these key selection criteria and I'll assess your applications and I'll weigh it up carefully and work out which one of you are most qualified. No, he didn't do that either. Well, did he do a talent quest or maybe host an episode of Survivor Galilee? Or, or maybe he got the Middle East version of Eddie Maguire to say, to run a series of who wants to be a disciple? How did Jesus choose his disciples? Well, he did it exactly the same way as what he does it today. Jesus called to him those whom he desired and they came to him. You know, some people get all caught up in arguments over predestination versus free will. Right? right. Does, does God choose who he's going to save or do we actually have a real free will? Do we actually get to decide for ourselves if we're going to follow Jesus? And, and I don't know why people have such a problem with this because the answer is so obviously both. God chooses. God calls those whom he desires. And then we enact our free will to either answer that call or to reject that call. Some people will say, well, that's not fair. Why isn't it fair? In the sovereignty of God, right? Sovereignty simply means that because God is king, right? Because God is king, because Jesus is king of kings and Lord of lords, he has every right to choose whomever he chooses. And because when God created us, he gave us free will, we can either obediently follow that call or reject that call. And so this is how it goes. This is how it went and this is how it goes today. Jesus called to him those whom he desired and they came to him. Verse 14, and he appointed 12 whom he also named apostles so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach 
and have authority to cast out demons. All right? Jesus called disciples. Uh, disciples are followers of Jesus. And you do know Jesus had more than 12 disciples. You know that, don't you? Yeah? Okay, so the many disciples, and at one stage he actually sent 72 of his followers out all at once on a mission. So he has many disciples, many people who are following him. But out of the disciples of Jesus, he named 12 of those as apostles. Now these 12 were going to be the inner circle of those who are on the inside, right? So when we become a disciple of Jesus, we're brought to the inside. We were on the outside, but when we become a disciple, we're brought to the inside. But then here, Jesus is appointing apostles, and they're like his inner circle. These are the ones who would be initially sent out to preach. These are the ones to whom he would give authority to drive out demons. Now, were they special people or did they get special training? Well, they got special training and then they were equipped by Jesus. Now, what sort of preparation do you think that they would need so that they would be ready to be sent out? Uh, by the way, that, that's what the word apostle means. It means one who is sent. It, it's like an envoy who is sent out. All right, so... These were the ones who were going to be sent out to preach the good news. But what preparation would they need before they were ready to be sent? You know, their preparation was simply to have time with Jesus. Verse 14 has some of the most wonderful words of blessing. He appointed the twelve so that they might be with him. Now, over the years, I've read that phrase many times, but I've never stopped to just marvel at the blessing that those words are. And we have that same blessing today. Jesus calls us to be his disciples so that we might be with him. You know, a lot of people want to know, well, what's with this Christianity thing, what's in it for me? You know, what, what am I going to get out of it if I become a Christian? And when some people preach the gospel, they make up all sorts of reasons to try and appeal to people. Their message might be, come to Jesus and he'll heal your marriage. Or the message might be, come to Jesus and he'll give you meaning in your life. Come to Jesus and he'll take away your addictions. He'll heal your diseases. He'll fix your relationships with your kids. Come to Jesus and he will help you to do better in your job. He'll, he'll give you success. Come to Jesus and he'll bless your finances. Now, there's all sorts of stuff that people preach. Some of it's true. Some of it's sort of true. Some of it's sometimes true. And sometimes some of it's just a downright lie. Do you know what I reckon is the best blessing about becoming a Christian? Jesus calls us to be his disciples so that we can be with him. There's the blessing right there. We don't need to go looking for anything else. Our entire satisfaction should be found right there. Being with Jesus Christ. 
And I thank God that Jesus returned to the Father so that we could all be with him. You see, if Jesus was going to be with those 12 apostles and put into them the time that their relationship would need for them to be able to grow and mature into the servants of God that he was wanting them to be, then that meant for Jesus to put the time into them, then there was times where he would have to go away from others so that he could just spend time one-on-one or 12-on-one, one-on-twelve with the disciples. Now, imagine... If Jesus could only disciple 12 people at a time today, where would that leave us? Well, thankfully, that's not the case anymore. If, if Jesus was still physically walking this earth today, I'm pretty sure that I wouldn't get a look in. Some of you might, because you're probably much better people than me, but I'm pretty sure that if Jesus was only able to spend t- time with 12 people on this earth, then I probably wouldn't get a look in. But because Jesus returned to the Father and sent to us his Holy Spirit, Jesus can be with you and I every minute of every day. And wow, what a blessing that is. Is that enough for you to be with Jesus? And get this, one day we're going we're gonna to see him face to face. We're going to be with him in his presence for eternity. Now, if that doesn't excite you, what on earth are you doing here? Because we're here because this is the blessing of being called as a disciple of Jesus. Being with Jesus in this life and for eternity. Now, I hope that excites you. Not everybody is, is excited by that. I talked to a lady once. Uh, she professed to being a Christian. She was a regular attender at church. Her husband was not. He wasn't a believer. Uh, he didn't come to church. And she openly said to me one day, if my husband's not going to be in heaven, I don't want to be there without him. She was telling me that she would rather be with her husband in hell than to be with Jesus. And straight away, I knew those were the words of a woman who, yes, she loved her husband, but it also told me that she didn't really know Jesus. She didn't know Jesus at all. Some people tell me I find it hard to make myself to read the Bible. I find it hard to spend time in prayer. And I understand that. Uh, there's times in my life when, when I've felt dry in my spirit and I haven't spent much time praying and I haven't spent much time reading the Bible. But you know what? When I remember the blessing that it truly is, to be with Jesus and to actually begin to focus on the presence of Christ, my spirit isn't dry anymore. And I experience again the blessing of the presence of Christ. And if your devotional time is dry, if your prayers are dry, 
Why don't you begin to focus on the presence of Jesus and simply enjoy being with Jesus? You know, when I do that, I find it isn't long before I start feeling, well, Jesus, I want to tell you something. And Jesus, I want to ask you something. And I start talking to him. And that's how prayer is supposed to be. There is no better joy than being in the presence of Jesus. Righto. There's also no better training for those who would minister for Jesus than for them to be with him, right? You could go to Bible college and do a, do a theological degree. You could go and do all sorts of short courses. You could go to many Bible studies. You could, you could even memorize the Bible if you wanted to from cover to cover. But none of that substitutes for an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, if, if I was to study and prepare for this message today, um, but then turn up here to deliver it without having spent time with Jesus and without having spent time in prayer, what would I have to offer? Nothing. At least nothing of value. And the Lord may be raising some of you up to be preachers. He might be raising some of you up to be teachers. He might be raising some of you up to lead youth or, or Sunday school or, or to lead a Bible study group or to lead worship or to do some other kind of ministry. Now, if God is raising you up to do that, how will we, the church, recognise that God is preparing you? You know what one of the first things I look for? is a closeness to Jesus. He calls us that we might be with him. That's where our preparation begins. While we are close to Jesus, that's where he does his greatest work. So Jesus called the 12 to be his apostles. Now, what sort of people did he call to this mission? You know, and what sort of people does he call to mission today? There must be a sort, because I know this, because so many people have said to me, oh, I'm not the sort, right? I'm not the sort of person that Jesus would call to this ministry. I'm not the sort of person that God would call to be, be a Christian. I'm not, I'm not the sort of person. So there must be a sort, mustn't there? Well, let's look at the sort that, that he chose. Here's the thing, Jesus calls those who will be near to him. And that can be all sorts. Now, as we read this list of apostles here, it's, it is a little bit difficult to work out who's who because um, Jesus had a habit of changing people's names. Did you notice that? He gives people nicknames and he changes their names. And sometimes he gives, calls them a completely opposite name of, of what, what they really are. Okay, so likes of today, when I was growing up, there was a, there was a kid and this, this fellow used to call him Rowdy. Why did he call him Rowdy? Because he was the quietest kid in the class. He, he never said boo, and his nickname was Rowdy. Now, Jesus did that a little bit at times. You know, like he, he named, Peter, named Cephas Peter. Peter means the rock. Well, Peter was anything but a rock. That is, until the Holy Spirit came upon him. 
So it, it gets a little bit difficult to know who's who, but, but um, these are the sorts of people he called. He called the working class. He called rough, outdoors, hard workers, people like fishermen. But he also called people of dubious occupations, like tax collectors. And yet he also called those to whom no, in whom no deceit could be found, like Nathaniel, uh, who's probably identified here as Bartholomew, by the way. He called a zealot. Now, what on earth is a zealot? You've all heard the word zealot. What is a zealot? Well, a zealot today, depending on whether this person was on your side or whether he is your enemy, you would either call him a freedom fighter or a terrorist. All right? That's what a zealot is. It is somebody who is a radical and usually a militant radical. And Jesus called one of them to be his disciples. Jesus called those who were at times a bit blunt. Oh, that lets me in. Um, he named James and John Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. Now, these sorts of blokes, these are the blokes who, when they went to a town and the town rejected Jesus and rejected the disciples, they turned to Jesus and said, shall we call fire down from heaven to consume them? And you can just imagine going, oh, no. You can just imagine that, can't you? They called people like that. And he called brothers. And of course, he called somebody who was eventually going to betray him. Now, from that, does Jesus have a type of disciple that he calls? Yes. He calls people just like you and you and you and you and you and all you lot and me. He calls all types. So... Those who respond to Jesus when he calls, they're the ones who move to the inside. But, you know, sometimes it can be a bit surprising with Christianity, the sort of person who doesn't move to the inside, the sort of person who stays on the outer. In today's reading, we get two little glimpses of Jesus' family. And what are they doing? They're trying to rein him in. They're trying to restrain him. So they said, he's out of his mind. You know, just, just don't, don't worry too much about him. You know, he's just going through a stage. You know, we'll, don't think. Now, I wonder what's really going on here. I wonder what the family really think. Are, are they concerned that Jesus is making a spectacle of himself and maybe worried about how that's going to reflect on the family? I don't know. I sort of suspect that they could probably see the writing on the wall. As Jesus is becoming more and more popular with the plebs and more and more hated by the rich and the powerful, well, the future's not looking so good for Jesus. And maybe that's why his family tried to take control of the situation, because they could see the trouble that he was going to get into, the trouble that he was headed straight towards. But, you know, even today... When someone starts to get serious in their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, often it's their families who tell them, oh, look, you're really starting to take this religious thing a little bit too far, all right? A little bit of religion's good, you know, get a few morals and stuff, but you're really getting a bit too serious about all this and you're starting to 
well, look, we just don't want you to become one of those weird born-again Christians, okay? So just, just, don't, just don't get too much. They don't want, to think, want us to go crazy. And so at this stage, Jesus' family were on the outside. But I thank God that later on, at least some of, some of them became dedicated disciples of Jesus. Um, two that we know for sure are Mary, um, and the other is Jesus' brother James. And there may be others as well. But at this stage, they tried to hinder his mission. And in that doing that, it just showed that they were well and truly on the outside. What is the place of family? What's the place of family in our lives? What's the place of family for a Christian? Well, some people worship family more than they worship God. Some people convince themselves that they are serving God by giving the first and very best of themselves to their family. And sometimes that can sort of be true-ish. But there does come a time where family draws us away from God's purpose. And when that happens, our family has become an idol to us. I reckon I could very bluntly say that within the church, idolatry of the family is often seen as a virtue. And we don't realise it's actually a flaw. And here's a little test to see where we stand in that. I want you to hear these words of Jesus and you tell me, are you encouraged by these words of Jesus or are you offended by these words? Reading from verse 31. And his mother and his brothers came. And standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. And whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Now, are you encouraged by those words or are you offended by those words? Are you offended on behalf of his mother and his brothers and, and do you feel the offence that they may have felt in that? Here's the thing. The radical call of Jesus to discipleship is to throw off every restraint to do the will of God. And sometimes it might be the good things that are restraining us. Sometimes it might be the people who we love who are holding us back from fully committing to Jesus Christ. Sometimes it can even be our own families who try to restrain us from getting too serious about this whole Jesus thing. And the radical call of Jesus is to throw off every restraint to do the will of God. He said, whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother.
This week, we've concentrated on the disciples of Jesus, those who are on the inside. And we've had a bit of a look at the crowds of people who are being drawn to Jesus. And next week, we're going to continue on with this passage. And we're going to be seeing what's spiritually going on with those who reject Jesus. And we're going to see what's spiritually going on with those who hate Jesus. But for today, I want to leave us with this question. Where are we at with Jesus? Are we on the inside or are we on the outside? Am I one of the crowds who Jesus is calling? And I'm here having a bit of a look, but I haven't yet committed to being a disciple of Jesus. Or am I somebody who is in the presence of Jesus? Do you feel and know the amazingly wonderful blessing that it is to be in the presence of Jesus? And is that enough for you? Let's pray. Lord, We've all started on the outside. And some of us feel like we're still on the outside, just looking in. We're one of the crowds, we're drawn to Jesus, but till now we've just been looking in. But Lord, we know that you're calling us to join this motley crew of misfits that you called disciples. And Lord, we want to experience more than ever the wonderful blessing that it is just to be in the presence of Jesus. You call us and we come to be with you so that we might be with you. Because that's enough. Nothing this world has to offer can, can possibly compare to that. Lord, just we ask that you would fill us with the joy of being in your presence. And here as we sit at your feet, we ask that you would raise us up into the disciples of Jesus who you want us to be. Lord, we, we repent of all of our sin. We repent of the attitude where well, we know better, it doesn't matter so much what I've been doing. And we say, we realise it does matter. Because you call us to be your pure, holy disciples. So Lord, I want to thank you that as we repent of our sins, as we leave them behind and step in the door to get, be on the inside, Thank you that you that you do your mighty 
work of salvation, your mighty work of healing, your mighty work of purification, and that you make us holy so that we're worthy to be with you. Not through what we've done, but through everything you've done. And so we want to thank you for this, Lord Jesus. Amen.